Welcome to the Jackets Online Podcast. We're back. We've had a sabbatical. Uh, mental health, uh, life, uh, basketball, travel, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. We had the holidays. Um, we've been gone for about uh, five weeks, I think. Um, last we left you, uh, was ahead of National Sign or after National Signing Day 1.0. We're now a week away from less than a week away now from the second one, which will probably be pretty uneventful for Georgia Tech unless you don't pay attention to Jackets Online and read our updates and stuff and are just going off of, I don't know, an ESPN commitment list or something uh, funny like that. But uh, yeah, it's been um, kind of a wild uh, couple months. We've had all of the coaching changes stories on, on Jackets Online. You had the additions of Chip Long as offensive coordinator, uh, Chris Winkie as quarterbacks coach after Chris Wiesenhan took a job at Temple suddenly, um, opening up that position, allowing Chip to flip to tight ends along with his OC duties. Yeah, Mike Daniels hired to replace Tashar Choice as a running backs coach. And Jason Samore hired to replace essentially um, – Nate Burton. I don't know how that's there's not one for one there because you have um him and Travaris Tillman both added to the staff, uh along with the returning coaches on that side of the ball, Andrew Thacker as defensive coordinator, um Larry Knight as D tackle coach and and Marco Coleman as defensive uh ends coach and then Tillman will take over the whole secondary. Uh, Jason will coach linebackers and Thacker will float and be the DC. Uh, however, that's going to work. Um, and then obviously returning on offense, you still have uh, Kerry Dixon and uh, Brett Key, the offensive line coach. So a uh, different look, five new coaches um, on that side of the ball. Uh, some good recruiters there, some interesting guys, uh, some guys with a lot of respect. I think really the two guys with the most recruiting prowess uh, on paper anyways um, would be Chip and, and uh, Coach Daniels, who uh, have both have really good reputations as recruiters. Um, and then, you know, obviously Chris Winkie is kind of a, a legendary guy in the South with his career at Florida State playing in the NFL and then um, getting into coaching and coached in the NFL as a quarterback's coach, coached at Tennessee. And that's where him and Chip Long know each other. Chris and Brent know each other. So there's that's actually a tight group, and Mike Daniels has a good personality. It fits in really well. Kerry Dixon will fit in well in that room as well uh, in the returning staff. So I think the offense is set. The, the big question I think right now, Russell, is just – People are curious about the defensive changes and, and what Jeff Collins has in store. And they're going to get started early. We are um, um, less than a month away from spring ball starting, which is sort of amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, they they announced the the spring game date on St. Patrick's Day with Thursday, March 17th. And I think uh, that, that kind of raised some eyebrows, um, not, not just in terms of you know, giving Georgia Tech fans or, you know, people who follow Georgia Tech something to, to complain about and talk about on a message board. But um, I think also uh, that's that's probably one of the earlier spring games in the entire country, um, which could have also been, you know, something that Jeff Collins or Georgia Tech kind of thought about, um, especially with all of the, the turnover like you were talking about on the, the coaching staff. Yeah, and Jeff sort of has just straight up been like, I want to get back on the field as soon as possible with this team. And and get going. And, and, you know, it's funny because this is what Duke actually believed in and Co David Cutcliffe, they would, they'd start practicing like uh, even earlier than Georgia tech is they'd be done by, you know, the first week of March, uh, you know, Georgia tech will stretch into the third week of March and with their spring practices and, and start in late February. But um, yeah, it's going to be a weird thing. It's going to be cold. Um, the weather's going to be like totally different, but you know, ultimately there's, multiple reasons why they're doing what they're doing. Um, you know, I talked to someone at Georgia tech uh, this morning when they released the news about the spring game um, just to get some sort of clarification. And, and essentially the thoughts were they have a lot going on right during the time of year in terms of just facilities and what's going on. There's uh, the two weeks around the, the, what's going to be the spring game. They have NCAA stuff um, with swimming and diving and, so forth going on. You have multiple sports going on at the same time, including baseball, hosting people. 
uh, at the Rusty Sea, and then you have, um, you know, the the other non-rev sports that are, are spring sports going on. So you you get stretched out, and it's a little bit hard to do it. That's the one sort of downside of going early. And you know, they're gonna supposedly put the games on in the in the uh, tournament. The way that, as I recall, and I could be wrong about this, but my recollection is um, the 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 way the tournament goes there's actually a gap around the time the georgia tech spring game will be which is the network news break on on um national tv and they have a break for a couple hours uh after the first flood of game like the first they play two games on each of the four channels or whatever and then they have a break and then they play the two evening games or the one evening game or whatever it is so I don't even know how much you're going to miss. It's not like the spring game's three hours either. So um, bring, it, it, they're trying to market it as a alternative to getting drunk and going to a bar on St. Patrick's Day as well. Uh, something you could do with your family. So totally get that and trying to make the best of a bad situation. The way spring break fell for Georgia Tech was kind of funky. Most coaches hate breaking up. I, you know, I talked to Paul Johnson and Jeff Collins about this before. They both hate breaking up spring practice because – you know, let's face it. What do kids do during spring break? They go out and have fun, right, for a week. And and you're not gonna and you're gonna lose something when you you get away from doing it for a week. So now they knock all that out, and then they're gonna have you know five months of pretty solid strength and conditioning leading up into the season. So um, I think it works out well. It gives you time to heal. And right now, too, you got to think about this. And this is one thing that people probably haven't thought of as well. You're installing a at least a modified version of the offense. Now chip will keep some of the nomenclature and all as much as he can, but it's different. Right. And so now you have this time for these kids to process what um, chips been, what chip wants to put in and, and any other changes they make defensively, offensively, uh, they'll have time to learn it on the field and then process it in the off season and work amongst themselves. Cause the one thing these kids do that I don't think people realize either is they spend the entire off season drilling with each other they go down to the indoor and throw they'll work on stuff on their own and and that makes a difference too so i understand the thought process uh is it even ideal for us no not really because it's going to be sort of a hellish situation for me for a few weeks trying to cover the end of the basketball season however that goes and and football but um yeah i don't know i mean have you seen uh, teams do this Russell a lot the one that pops in my mind is always Duke but uh, I'm trying to think of like some others that go early Duke was the first one that came to mind for me too um you know I, I, I don't I don't know when I was younger I would watch like all of the spring games like I would put them all on and, and you know just getting any type of taste of football you could get um even back before I started covering recruiting and um, it was just any time you could – there was football on the TV, I would have it on, especially before I became a dad. And uh, Coco Melon and other things like that took over my TV. Um, but, you know, in terms of other schools doing it, I really can't think of anybody specific. Um, I know I was trying to find the, the 2021 schedule of, of spring games. and Yeah, I tried to look for that too, and I couldn't really – it's hard to come up with that. Yeah, because everybody's got them all transitioned already to 2022. And um, obviously, of the ones that have been announced, um, Georgia Tech is the first spring game, at least at the Power Five level that I've seen. And, you know, um, the other thing, too, that, that's the sort of other thing to think about, well, there's sort of two pieces to this. One is uh, they're going to get to go out and go recruit, right? Like, they're going to get to go spend um, – all of their time. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. There's a, on my Twitter feed, there's some kid that just committed to a school that's initials are UAPB. And I have no idea what that is. University of Arkansas Pine Bluff. Okay. Thank you. Uh, that was like really distracting me. Russell. I appreciate that. I'm glad you pulled that one out. Um, I like, there was no mascot, nothing, just the like letters and giant script on this kid's commitment thing. And some kid retweeted that I followed and I was like trying to figure out what it was for a second. Like I was just, it was like at the top of my Twitter feed, but um, going back to what I was saying, recruiting is uh, kind of the lifeblood of what Jeff Collins does. Right. And they're going to have the April evaluation period. 
Um, the way it works for most schools is you kind of have to practice and then try to go out on the road around that. And that was sort of the way it was the first year. I think Jeff was here. Um, and really for a lot of other staffs, you try to kind of work around your schedule. Now they can use all their time. They can be focused on that. And to be blunt, I, and I thought about this, you know, as we were talking about it, they can now look at what they need to get in the off season, right? Like if something's not working out, they don't like a position. There's what we call the second portal season, which starts, you know, at the end of spring ball for everybody where kids go in the portal, like at the end of the spring semester, spring quarter, whatever they're on at their school, there's another little wave of people. And that's another opportunity to go pick up a key starter, you know, uh, Alabama, what's the receipt, the big receiver that they got in the portal last year? Um, Jameson Williams. Yeah. They got him in that second period when they realized they needed another receiver, right? Like they went out and found him, uh, you know, however that goes down. And <laughs> yeah, they went and found him, Kelly, that's for sure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like the diamonds in the rough. Yeah. Like whatever, however that works, that went down, but that's what happens, right? Like you, you need, you know, say you're, you know, God forbid your punter tears his Achilles tendon or, you know, like, just dumb stuff like that that can happen. It gives you more flexibility to, to figure out what you need. And if you have guys that are unhappy that leave too, like you have time to actually react to that a little bit. And there can even be some of that. You don't know how everyone's going to react to, especially the changes in offense. Right. So um, that that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, something that is going to be interesting. I hate saying the word interesting so much, but um with the new offense and the new, I guess the real mentality, um, the the toughness is, is everybody is, is saying and everything um, is it, it's going to be fascinating to see who lives up to the toughness and who doesn't, because, you know, when Chip had his first media availability, he was very, very open and honest about the fact that, you know, if, if you're, you're not a physical player, especially in the trenches, you're probably not going to play. Um, so in the past, Georgia Tech has had some some finesse offensive linemen who rely more on their technique more than their actual strength. Um, so so being able to you know, transition that into having developing technique while coming in with like raw strength um, in that position, and then and also uh, the decision making and the toughness at quarterback. Um, you know, last year. You saw Sims miss some games with some some injuries that it's possible somebody some other people could have played through. I mean, I covered a guy that I covered two court three quarterbacks at Georgia Tech during my time that played through some pretty significant injuries. Sometimes their own detriment. Four actually, uh, you know, Nesbitt was ridiculous. He would be covered in his own blood after games sometimes on his arms from just people scratching at him running the football. You had Tevin wow. Washington after him. You had um, Taquan Marshall, but Justin Thomas was the guy that was the other one that was insane because Justin Thomas was like the size of a like high school shortstop. Like I mean, he was like a little tiny guy, and he played through all kinds of stuff. I mean, he I remember telling basically like he was all but in a full body cramp after games, and I would see him and his dad, his dad, rest in peace, uh, Milton, who passed away, and. You know, he would we'd bump at each other leaving the stadium or whatever, and he'd be like telling me about like all this treatment he was doing and just to play, right? But he yeah. never came out like he came out of like one game in pretty much his entire career, and and that's what you want, man. Nesbitt, you had to drag his ass out of the game, like right, and that's how it should be. Yeah, and that's how most you know most of the guys I've covered have been like they even you know you know talk about Georgia here for a second, but like Matthew Stafford or David Green or the guys I covered there, they were they did not want to come out of the game, right? Like, yeah. And at those places, the one thing that you know where Georgia Tech needs to make that next leap too is, you know, David Green didn't want to give up his job to DJ Shockley, like he was scared, mm -hmm. and so that makes you when you have a guy who you know can take your job, right? Like that changes your, how you play and, and it makes it makes things totally different. And I think that that's something that's just been missing overall in the quarterback position to Georgia tech for forever, quite frankly. I mean, you could go, you, I, you know, the last time they probably had depth was like, like that might've been like Bill Lewis or something like 
Mew had Goose behind Ham briefly, but that wasn't the same thing. Like he was, they're on two totally different levels at that point. But there's just not been a long history of that at, at this place. So I think that's what Chip expects. That's what he had at, at Notre Dame. They had Brandon Wimbush, who was a guy who was a, a really talented guy that was like maybe even considered an NFL prospect at quarterback uh, with all the tools. And Ian Book came in and stole his job, like straight up. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, will we see that happen? I have no idea. Like, I have, you know, I know that, you know, out of the guys, you know, I don't know a lot about Zach Gibson, but I know a lot about Zach Pyre and I watched him play a lot. He's, he's going to do whatever the hell it takes to get himself in a position to get on the field. And so that's good for Jeff to get that competition. I think it'll be interesting to have different voices too, because uh, Chris Winky was certainly not a soft player in his day either, um, playing quarterback. And now you have him and Chip in that room that it'll be a make or break time for Jeff. And, and um, you know, to be honest, too, we don't know the extent of what his injuries were or whatever, because Jeff doesn't talk about Jeff Collins and talk about that. So it could have been something more serious. But I think it's it's a question when you see him throwing and warming up before games and looking OK and then not playing like those are the things that make people wonder about that and it makes other coaches wonder about it too. Like I've talked to other coaches on other staffs um, that played Georgia tech and, and they've wondered about, you know, just the toughness overall at times of the team. So. Um, right. I think that's, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. And, and, and here's the other thing, Russell, like when you're tough on one side of the ball, it tends to make the other side of the ball tougher. Right. So like if the offense is physical and punishing, the defense is going to raise their level of play too. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, we're talking all this about toughness. I find it ironic after last night's basketball game and the uh, the the player who just continues to be um, on or off the injury report based off of his own accord. Oh, uh, Mr. Maxwell? Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he, uh, he had enough, so he had a sore thumb. Um, but, you know... I find that fascinating. I think, I think if you're in his position, you have to play like you're losing right now, your minutes to, you know, Debo and the bench is shortening and those opportunities. I mean, Miles Kelly didn't play in that game on his birthday, on his birthday. And he's the guy who's played a ton this year. And, you know, the, he shortened the bench to seven and, and they went with it and, you know, with Florida State, I have a, a friend of a buddy on the staff at Florida State who said Jordan Usher was talking tremendous trash. Like, he appreciated it, and the Florida State bench was got a kick out of it. Uh, it made them mad, obviously, because they were losing, but they appreciated Usher every time he walked by their bench was talking crap the whole game. Uh, so, you know, like, that's what uh, – you got to have a little swagger, man, and, and there were a lot of ATL kids in that game last night, and, and – I think you saw Georgia Tech raise their level up a little bit um, to, to win that game. And that was a fun atmosphere. It was, you know, good to see them finally be on the right side of things after a really long year for, for Josh Pastner and his crew. And hopefully they uh, continue to, to build some momentum. The team, as I keep telling everyone, you know, they're like they're missing a piece, right? Like they just don't have a big man that's super functional. But Rodney Howard played well in the second half of that game and it changed the, the way that game went. And then Leonard Hamilton made the decision to go small against them. And that backfired tremendously on him. Yeah, that was, uh, that was one of the more fascinating coaching decisions I've seen in probably two years of, of watching all Georgia tech athletics, because you've got this huge gap in the paint that where you know, they're literally Ryan just touched... throwing the ball at the rim. And like, you know, they weren't even, they weren't even lobs, man. They were literally just kind of, throwing like half shots at the rim and the dude was catching it and dunking it. Cause he was seven foot four. Yeah. I mean, imagine being the official score and having to decide, is that an assist or a shot attempt? Yeah. I mean, it was literally like sort of like half shots, like, and, and in the second half, they just totally abandoned trying to feed the post cause they were turning the ball over too much. And um, for Leonard Hamilton's liking and, and, I had to, I had like sat there during the game. I was talking to Ken Segarra sitting next to me and I was like, what are they? I just leaned over and I was like, what are they doing, man? Like, what is this coaching decision here that Leonard Hamilton made? But it worked out for Georgia Tech. 
Um, Josh has certainly got his number for whatever reason. So, uh, you know, good on them. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, that was, that was fascinating. And, you know, obviously Miami's coming to going to Atlanta this, this weekend. Uh, that's a, that's one that I would say a week ago, everybody kind of just assumed was a loss and was ready to move on. You know, other people were making other plans for Saturday, but, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, it, what kind of attendance they're able to get coming off of, off of that upset. I mean, you know, when you, when you're the, worst team in the, the conference and you, you pull off upset against what at least numerically is the best team in the conference. They're not ranked or anything, but, um, you know, no, but a team that's, that's been that, really good for like the last few years. It's been one of the, the top yeah. teams in the ACC and was up there. Yeah, right. no, it's I mean, definitely something. I mean, if you go back to the, the year, the, the tournament got canceled due to COVID, uh, I, I had Florida state winning it all. And in, in all of the brackets I was doing in my head before the, the field was revealed, I mean, Leonard Hamilton is a great coach, and, you know, that's that's a really good program. And, you know, with, with Miami, uh, Miami's more of a – I would compare them kind of to, to Michigan State football um, this year. Um, and it's just the, the way that they've kind of built their roster off of uh, transfers and, you know, overlooked players. They're not exactly um, recruiting rivals 100 kids or anything like that. Um, but <laughs> – no, yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's um, it's been they've been sort of a weird team to watch the last few years. So, it, it's very much a clash in styles between like them and the, the way Miami plays and the way Florida State plays. And Florida State's so weird because they just come at you in these waves of players, right? Like they they play, you know, so many guys. And Georgia Tech just played like seven guys, and they were having a lean and be smart with timeouts and all of that stuff, but they did it and, and won the game. So, you know, kudos to Josh, man, he got it done. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard not to pull for, for Josh Pastner if you are a Georgia tech fan, cause he's just so damn likable, like, uh, just a sweet guy. Like, um, I, I don't know how to, how else to describe him, but, um, I, you know, it's just hard to, to not appreciate him. And I talked to like, some pretty like ardent people that are like not easily swayed one way or the other. And they were really impressed with the game the other night. And that was good to just see as the program program really needed that um, after what's been such a slow slog uh, in, in ACC play and really that terrible non-conference schedule they played in December too. Yeah. The schedule didn't do them any favors. No, I mean, he scheduled, Josh told me this, he scheduled as if, thinking he would have Jose back and they would be a, a team playing for um, really to be in the top 25, right? Like that was what he thought they were uh, going to be. And then Jose left and, and, you know, things it's, that's worked out really well for him. Um, so yeah, I saw he started his first career game a couple of nights ago. Yeah. He's, they love him there. He's been playing. I think their team sucks from, uh, what I understand for the most part, but, um, you know, he's getting to play with some really talented people and, and get it, cut his teeth in the NBA. If he can get his shooting going, it's sort of a little bit of a mirror of, of Georgia tech where he started really slow shooting the ball. Uh, and then it came along as his career progressed and hopefully he can do the same thing with the, the, the Pelicans. Um, I'm not sure how Moses is doing. I sort of lost track of him. I don't know if he's off his contract with the Clippers or whatever is going on there, but, um, you know, I, I'm happy for Jose. Jose's, you know, playing, starting to play more minutes, starting to shoot a little bit better. And defensively, he's been really good for, for, uh, for New Orleans. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually going down there and, uh, a couple weeks, maybe I'll get a chance to see them play. I should actually look and see if that uh, is going on, if they're in town uh, that weekend. Yeah. The uh, rivals camp, they may not be. Sometimes they play Sunday games, sometimes they don't. So it'd have to be, a, I mean, I'm sorry, I, I need a Saturday game, which you don't really play a lot of. Um, it doesn't look like they are, but um, yeah, I, you know, oh, wait a second, I'm looking at clips. It's the wrong schedule. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so Moses is not listed on their roster, so I'm thinking he's back in the G League. 
yeah it makes sense you got probably called up when someone got hurt or whatever i don't i'm not a huge nba guy so covid 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 took over the nba there for about a three-week span goodness gracious wait a second what's uh what day is the rivals camp in in nola it's the 26th right so they just changed the schedule uh yeah, uh, twenty seventh is the camp, so I'll be there in the twenty sixth. So yes, they play San Antonio that day at home. There you go. You go to the Smoothie King Center and go, uh, <laughs> go. Oh, that's actually a really interesting idea. I'm gonna jot that down. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, assuming Jose's still up, um, that would be a, a smart move on my part, anyways. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, getting just getting back to basketball real quick. Um, yeah, Georgia Tech played a really tough schedule in the front end, and then the back end of the schedule is a lot. After they get through these, the two gate, they play Miami Saturday, then they play at Virginia Tech, and then they play Miami again on the road. And then the schedule sort of bottoms out and they play like the back half of the league the rest of the year. Um, so if they do get hot, it'll be interesting. It'd be funny if it's another situation where they have a strong finish, you know, it, it's going to be harder because the team's so young still. And the two star players, Usher and, and Mike DeVoe are so streaky. Uh, you sort of are, are relying on them to play well. You know, what allowed Florida state to sort of get it back in the game last night was, you know, Mike DeVoe not playing well. Um, in the second half, he, he started really hot. And then I think he was like two, eight in the second half shooting, um, but hit a couple free throws and, you know, he's got to play better. If, if, if they can get that going, it'll, they are a dangerous team and they will be competitive. And, you know, if Josh could even get them to the NIT or something, that would be a pretty impressive, um, season for Georgia tech, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, any success you have in that part of the calendar year, uh, that's where you can kind of push on that, especially in recruiting, uh, whether it's transfer portal guys or you find a couple late risers in high school that you like, um, you know, that that's going to be really important for, for Passner and the rest of his staff is, is being able to identify and, and secure commitments from, from kids, transfer portal players, um, just being able to add depth and, and also size, um, which is an obvious need for them moving forward yeah they're definitely trying to um add a portal big man and and add some you know add some depth and and really upgrade there if they can i mean obviously you still have guys that are young and rodney and saba and jordan mecca but they need you know if they just had a you know even even some of the lesser you know daniel miller or um you know, so as, or Vass or some of the other guys they've had that have not necessarily been elite big man, DeMarco Cox, like just these guys who are okay. Like they would probably have five more wins right now on, on their total with just a slightly better play from that position. So, yeah, I think it's really important. You know, they got screwed by COVID and not being able to have visitors and, and part of what they sell, and this is something, you know, I haven't talked probably talked enough about is one of the things they sell to recruits is their culture. And in order to, for kids to experience that, they have to be around the program. It's not dissimilar to, to what Jeff Collins and the football team does. Right. And you saw sort of the struggles a little bit with Jeff and them when they weren't able to have kids on campus in this last cycle, they had that long stretch that lasted until this past August where they could, or September, was it September when the dead period ended? You said September for basketball? I'm not no, sure. no, 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 no. I'm talking about football. When I'm talking about when the dead period ended and kids could come back onto campus. It was September, wasn't it? I think it was like June. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because they came in for camps. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. I forgot about that. But the spring was dead, right? So like, uh, and basketball, yeah, no. yes. basketball stayed dead. Basketball was dead through um, really until I think the season, close to the season started. They, they, st- I'm sorry, until fall school started. That's when they allowed kids to start taking official visits, I think. Um, so, 
you know, that's just tough, man. Like you, it's, it's hard to recruit when you can't get kids on campus. Can't, you know, go and necessarily see them. Um, when it's just dead. So that's going to be a big challenge. You know, Josh and them have used the portal really well. Um, and adding pieces here and there. And I think they, they are going to, you know, be able to sell like what they did with Moses, Wright And James banks and, and Ben Lammers to some, some other young big man. And, you know, they, they recruited guys that are a little too projecty probably uh, for their own good at the moment. And that's, you know, sort of hurting them this season. So it'll be interesting to see where, uh, where this all ends up and, and how Georgia Tech plays down the stretch here. I still think they're they got to run in them before this is all over. Yeah, I think it'll be uh, something to watch. I'd like to share a word with you now about our sponsor, Section 103, who bring you the best Georgia Tech clothes out there. Original, interesting clothing with the official Tech Gold and the official word mark and things that are hard to find anywhere else. I think it's the best uh, best tech apparel you can find on the interwebs. It's like the stuff that coaches wear. It's really cool. You get the AT, ATL logo that they have. Um, all the stuff super comfortable, super cool. And they even have youth sizes and women's clothes and, and are constantly adding things. I think uh, the guy who does it, I've gotten to know a little bit through uh, social media and he just does an amazing job. Jackets online uh, subscribers can get a discount of 10% off their first order by using the code jackets online, all caps and check out section 103.com. Um, great website. They have all kinds of cool stuff and, and, you know, people for years have been asking me for cool Georgia tech designs, unique things. Um, and even the coaches are starting to wear that stuff. You know, Andrew Thacker is wearing uh, one of the shirts at practice, which I thought was really cool and something I pointed out, not knowing that it was one of these designs. So check out our sponsor section 103. Great, great company. know getting back to the uh, the football side of things obviously um all month long it's been you know kind of talked about and originally it was going to be a, a rather large event in terms of georgia tech getting kids on campus um to finish out the the 2022 class in terms of uh, having what used to be called a, a junior day um but with the um, amount of importance on you know kids actually seeing them practice this spring um, kids wanting to use this weekend to go to places that are uh, further away from home and also the um, inconsistency of the, the basketball team to spend about the last 10 minutes talking about, um, you know, it just, it, it feels like more of a, a, a local event type thing. Um, I don't think you'll see anybody like Dylan Lonergan or anything like that on campus this weekend. Um, Dylan will actually be in California at Stanford. No, that's a, a very different uh, visit than, than Georgia Tech. Yeah, it's, a, it's quite a ways away. Um, and then I was talking to some sources, and some of these kids are, like, going all the way to Michigan State. Like, Jamal Anderson's kid, he's going to East Lansing this weekend. Another kid was going to Nebraska. I'm like, man, that Atlanta airport is going to be hopping. I think kids are trying to get some of those visits in too, in case you, you, you just don't know, right? Like you don't know if there's going to be another dead period thrown in or something, you know, there could be, there's just a lot. I think there's a lot of um, nervous uncertainty right now in terms of just the recruiting calendar and, and what's going to happen, just given how kind of hectic it was last year. So I could see kids trying to squeeze those visits as they can now. Uh, and then, you know, obviously the one other thing we've learned Russell is, um, with the way the portal works now, everyone's sort of changed their approach to how they're recruiting high school kids. So the clock changes a lot depending on how, who you are, right? Like if you're not a top 150 player, um, you're not really guaranteed a spot for sure at a spot like it, you know, even Alabama's of the world, like, They'll recruit over you using the portal now. So 
I think there's a lot of kids trying to, you know, check these schools out and, and make their move before, you know, the offer dries up or the numbers, the numbers game changes as we always like to talk about. Um, so yeah, I'm like super curious about that too. Yeah. See, that's the, that's the tough part because you've got these, uh, these high school kids who are, you know, getting all of these offers right now. And a lot of them don't realize that, you know, like Georgia tech, they offered goodness gracious nearly the entire roster of St. Thomas Aquinas today. And <laughs> the, thing is, the thing is that, you know, three months down the, down the road, you don't visit the school. You don't get verified measurables. You don't get verified times. You don't, run track or anything like that you don't get seen by these coaches you try to commit to that offer you're not going to get very far no matter who you are and and that's that's where um the the transfer portal kind of switches things up because it's it's not too hard to get access to that that film from that college and and from there you get that you've got the the college level strength and conditioning You've got the um, experience practicing against, you know, college level talent um, for under your belt. And you've, you've got things like that. And, you know, the more and more it goes, it seems like a moderately experienced college transfer is being valued more than that typical 5.5, 5.6 level recruit. Sure. And, Cause and, I mean, why would you, you know, you're going to get a kid that, you know, can put on weight, can stay healthy, um, you know, versus a high school kid that's such an unknown, right? You have that whole maturity curve, too, of like learning how to work in college, being able to stay eligible, do your schoolwork, just real basic life stuff, man. Like you don't have to babysit them as much because they are a little bit older. All of those things play a factor when a coach is weighing on who he's going to sign versus, you know, a kid that's, you know, maybe got some stupid shit on his Twitter and Instagram pages and is, you know, posing on the hoods of cars and stuff and with stacks of money or whatever the dumb thing is, you know what I'm saying? Like we all see that stuff all the time. Like um, it just, I imagine that's an easier call, right? Like if you, if you could get like a similar kid that's already got, you know, two, with COVID now, get kids that have two years in that are still freshmen, right? That have registered and not yep. played, and um, you know that that helps, man. Like you can kind of reload. Uh, you can, and the one thing the portal does now, really, um, for people who know how to use it, is it allows you to fix your mistakes, right? Like you recruit, and this is not great. You know, you recruit a guy and. Um, I'm trying to think of one that, without like killing a kid here. You recruit a kid, let's say he's an offensive lineman and you take him and you're trying to develop him and he medicals out, right? Like after a year in your program. Now you, you know, offensive line recruiting is difficult in the best of circumstances, you know? So now you're trying to replace him. You've had, you know, that's something that Georgia Tech's dealt with. They've had, I think four or five guys now um, go down, you know, pretty early in their careers before you really even had a chance to see what they could do and develop them. So that's something that uh, the portal can help you address. And you go get a Paul Tio or you go get Riley Quick or you, uh, Pierce Quick or uh, I can, I'm going to do that forever, man. I'm going to call him Riley Quick just for because that was such a storyline on JLL for so long. Um, the two of them. Oh my gosh. Uh, that, you know, that was like the, that's maybe like the one storyline that's paid off the most. That's <laughs> we've been tracking for like the last three years or whatever. It, yeah. Is Pierce coming to, to play here because God will, you know, God love our, our subscribers. They really wanted that to happen so bad in the worst way. Um, so uh, but it is funny because his brother's just going to go play baseball at Alabama. Um, that, that, you know, he ended up not being actually like a prospect. So yeah, he would have been, he just, he, uh, he trimmed down, decided he wanted to, to be a baseball player. And I mean, goodness gracious, if I had the choice, I'd probably play baseball too. You probably have a longer career, but your body will 
uh, with the wear and tear just on your body is so totally different, man. Like, right. You know, pretty much everyone I know who played like really even high level high school football has like permanent, like something that hurts like all the time, like for the rest of their life. I know my brother, you know, I, I was sucked and couldn't really play because of, uh, I had back and knee problems, but like, you know, and I play baseball and like, you know, I have, I've like my arms, like I could, I can throw a baseball for about 30 minutes and then it starts really hurting. Cause I have problems with like my rotator cuff, um, that I'm just not going to get fixed. Cause I'm not, you know, playing for the Braves or something. I don't need to go have rotator cuff surgery for something that only bothers me if I throw a baseball a lot. So it just means I'm not going to, not going to do kids pitch. Uh, That's right. Coaching for my, for my little one or when he starts playing, but yeah, man, it's just funny. Like uh, I I can see how that's an easier decision. And also it depends. Like if he's a higher level prospect as a baseball kid, well, why wouldn't you chase that? You know, like, so I get it. And, you know, you don't, the last thing you want too is you don't want an offensive lineman that's not focused on playing football. I think that's what's happened to your buddy Flip, by the way. Yeah. Flip's doing something, man. Flip, Flip's down to what I think 235 last I heard. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he went from a guy that was going to go to Miami and be like a national recruit to, I don't know what he's doing now. He signed with Ole Miss, and I think he's waiting for Kermit Davis to call. Well, Kermit's got to save his job before he can call him. <laughs> uh, uh, but this, whoever's coaching basketball there next year, he's hoping they call him and, and ask him if they if he can play. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a weird situation. That whole his whole recruitment because you know college coaches watched him and and, and they saw a future NFL left tackle i mean i went and saw him dude that's what i saw like i was like wow this guy can move he has size is a frame and and then you know we put you know put some film out and he got some film out from his uh, spring scrimmage and that opened the floodgates man and then these dudes were salivating over him and then it sort of changed on a dime he visited miami officially and then just kind of was was the waiting game for the commitment and then i don't know what happened well he committed and then uh and then like it was like a whole weird deal that was a a very funny story i I can't tell online what happened that day uh i was was with him yeah i can say the day he committed yeah no we can't talk about that yet I, I uh, let's just say I confirmed the commitment in a hilarious manner. Um, but you know, it was not for us, but it, it was very funny what I did uh, to confirm it. Um, Russell, Russell very much enjoyed when I was texting him while that was going on uh, in between going to dinner at uh, an ACC kickoff event, no less. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, there's just a lot of these stories, man. There's a kid that committed to South Florida today. His name is Michael Williams. He's from uh, basically outside of Detroit, uh, West Bloomfield. And he was literally a national recruit, like a four-star, like rivals 250 guy as, as a sophomore in high school. And he blew out his knee his junior year um, as a tweener pass rusher. And this was a guy I texted you about earlier today, Russell. And, mm-hmm. and he was going to go to Michigan or Michigan state or one of the, he had offers from everybody and blows out his knee, like massively, like to the point where he finally was able to start doing stuff this past summer, like uh, the summer of his senior year. So he missed a whole junior year plus an entire off season. He had 23 and a half sacks last year uh, and playing basically on a not fully healed leg. Um, he had, you know, what his options were at the end of the day, it was UMass and South Florida. And he got lucky because Bob Shoup, who had been on the staff, at, I think it was at Michigan as a QA or no, I'm sorry. He was at Miami fair where Shoup was Shoup had a connection to the kid and that's how they ended up taking him. 
Otherwise, he would have gone to UMass, which is literally either the worst or the second worst program in all of uh, FBS football. And a step above – it's a step below, actually, a lot of FCS programs, to be honest with you. Like, you'd be better off at James Madison or or wherever, like not, not UMass. Uh, and Don Brown's a coach there, and that was the connection that, that got him because he had recruited him to Michigan. But that's how much these kids, like, you know, their luck can change, man. Like, you – as a, you know, the thing I always joke about, man, you could step off a bus wrong. And I saw that happen. It that literally happened. I think it might have been Stephen Hill, my first year covering Georgia Tech, and he got hurt. Um, you know, stepping off the little bus that takes you to maybe I forget. I want to say it was Stephen Hill. It was somebody got hurt. Like seriously hurt. Just stepping off a bus wrong, man. Like you just never know what's gonna happen. So um I think there's a lot of kids now realizing you got to strike when the iron's hot. The, it's the one thing I'm kind of curious to your take on, Russell. Um, we start to wind things down here a little bit. You know, there's been talk. There's been talk about moving the the um, moving the the transfer portal and having specific times where you can go in. So you can't go in in the middle of the season when you're pissed off at your position coach. Cause he, he benched you and he's playing some other bastard and whatever. You're just all angry about that. Like, you know, just the immaturity factor for high school kids, you know, young or young college kids. Do you think they should put a, a lock on when you can enter? Like you can't enter, you know, from September 1st to, you know, you know, the first Monday in December or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that would that would make I think a lot it would serve of sense. player interests, right? Like, more than yeah, that. yeah. I mean, but because there really is no situation where you would need, like, absolutely need to enter the transfer portal. Like, you know, come December, you've got a, a sick family member, or you know, February comes and you're getting the vibe from the position coach that you may not get the playing time you thought you were going to get. I mean, yeah, that's a great time to enter the transfer portal. Um, there's, there's a lot of kinks that need to be worked out with the transfer portal and, and the way it works, the way people are contacted. Um, if, you know, there's just a lot of things NCAA needs to do. Um, but people instead, being promised NIL deals before they've even <laughs> agreed to, to go to school somewhere, things like that. You mean? Yeah, I mean the the whole situation just needs um, needs to be worked out and and figured out in terms of what the um, the best to, the way to take the best foot forward um, for for the sport and and because the transfer portal isn't just for for football. I mean, yeah, for football it's obviously the the, the largest, but any type of policy you put in there, you got to probably put in for for other sports too. Um, yeah, so you know, no in season transfers basically, like or no entering the portal in season. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you could always leave it open for, you know, the gray area with, you know, your your mom just got like deathly sick and you need to, to leave school and go home. That, I mean, that's different. But that's but a different really, thing, too. Like that doesn't you really don't even need to enter the, the transfer portal. You could just yeah. leave school or, you know, enroll in everybody's favorite thing to do now, which is virtual classes. Yeah, exactly. Like there's not really, especially with the way virtual classes work now, there's not really even a need to. To, yeah, uh, so yeah, that. I think there's there's got to be some type of uh, adjustment there in terms of what they can do to to correct that. And I mean, like you said, the, the NIL deals before kids are actually committed to schools. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things going on that I don't think whoever this whole situation that was um, created and introduced um, thought about. Um, it, it's kind of like when you you move somewhere, but you still have like, like let's say you, you get a second home and you move almost everything over and you're ready to start living your life over there. And then you're like, you know what I forgot? I forgot the surge protector. You know what I forgot? I forgot the, my phone charger. And like these things that you need to, like, to function, you don't have. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at with the transfer portal. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, unbelievable how um 
it's what goes an open on market yeah i mean it is free agency um essentially right and i don't know that that was the intention the intention was coaches are allowed to move freely why aren't players um which i understand and i'm not like advocating that kids need to sit out a year or whatever um i just think they need to have some there need this needs to be reined in a little bit or it's going to get really ugly and it's going to be a, a scourge on college football if it's not taken care of quickly right yeah and then you know also there's there, there may need to be some type of gosh i hate to say it but some kind of like showcase or something where these kids get to work out in front of coaches oh, like of the ones that can't sign any that you don't have any interest for, or have enough interest yeah you know let's say uh like you know the way you do a camp in june do a camp at an indoor in in january um get give those oh, like a camp. almost like a super camp like um like a mega camp yeah. yeah mega camp sorry like uh you know like the one they have in macon or whatever yeah exactly something like that where you know kids that may have entered the portal as a taking a risk give them a chance to show it. i mean you run a fast enough 40 time, you look good enough in the, in the, the shuttle. Someone's going to look at you and give you a chance. But a yeah. lot of these kids, goodness gracious, there's so many who still don't have a home and I mean, they're going to, they're still in for a rude awakening because these, these schools are starting classes. Like I mean, did, did Jordan Yates commit anywhere yet? Not to my knowledge. Um, it's uh, you know, that's, that's a tough one. I think he's a guy who got hurt by playing more, to be honest with you, like sort of in a, a you know, the, not exactly what you would expect. Right. Like he, he played and, you know, <laughs> ended up not um, helping himself in the second and the, in the last couple of games of the year where they had such a, you know, they were just really struggling against two really good teams in Notre Dame and, and Georgia and I think it, it hurt his stock. And, and I love Jordan. I think he's a great kid. And um, it's just uh, kind of a bummer. And, you know, he's still in school. I believe he's not done till May. So maybe right. he's going to, you know, hold, hold off till then. My argument with Jordan would be like, you should just, he should just have stayed on the team. And, uh, you know, Chip and them would have liked to have had Jordan if he was available, from what I understand. Um, they would have preferred him not leave and have another guy to compete in spring ball. Cause you know, they're still down a quarterback. You really want four guys in, in your spring ball on scholarship and they have a couple of nice walk-ons, but they're not, um, not guys. I think that are going to come in and com- compete and push people like the way Jordan would just by his, his ability as a competitor. So. Right. I think he's a prime example of a kid that made a mistake. Um, you know, the you know, I tweet it all the time, man. Don't go in if you, unless you have an escape plan. Like, unless you right. got something lined up, don't go in the portal. Like, just don't do it. It doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, let's let's wind it down here. Um, Juju commits. Um, they add the two defensive backs. Kind of you know, the cliff notes version there that you want to share with people, just anything that sticks in your head about the, those two, those three additions. Well, I mean, you know, we talked so much about Kari G in the, the 2021 class that, you know, we could be a, a broken record about the ability of talent, the number amount of talent he has and really the, the size and the, the speed that he brings to the, the table. Um, especially the, like I said, the length, um, especially at, at that position, he's going to have a chance to, um, you know, fill the void. I don't think he's going to come in and start by any means, but we'll have the chance to come in, compete, and and be ready. Um, I think you know, being in Atlanta was something big for him, as as well as um, being able to be that first uh, Woodward kid <laughs> in the rivals era to to end up at Georgia Tech. Um, it's I incredible, is, dude. <laughs> it is. I, I I couldn't believe it. I I had to go through the commitment list like two or three times just to to double check i'm like did this is this is this true yep. and i uh i talked to the the coach at woodward uh, ryan davis who i talked to quite a bit and i was you know asking him i was like 
is this really the first scholarship player Georgia Tech's had from Woodward and since 2002? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, that. that's just nuts. Sort of coincides with when, when Ryan got there, by the way, just you know, not for nothing. Um, 20 years ago? I mean, Ryan, no, Ryan got there. So Ryan, I saw, I knew Ryan when he played at Georgia. Um, he was a, a walk-on defensive back at Georgia. Um, so he would have been, he's been at Woodward at least 15 years, I think now at this point, because he's, he was there when I started covering Georgia Tech. And I remember yeah. um, being like, I'm pretty certain of this. I just remember they were recruiting guys like right out of the gate with Paul and, and that staff and them just kind of hitting walls. And they screwed a couple of them up. The one that um, there's one I need to double check real quick in my head to make sure I'm right about this. But um, yeah, Henry Anderson ended up being an NFL player uh, and a very productive one. Uh <laughs> That was a gift. Smith screwed that one up. Um, he was trying to squeeze Anthony Williams, who was another four-star defensive end who ended up signing at Georgia tech using Henry Anderson as sort of bait to squeeze Anthony. And then he didn't realize that Anthony and Henry knew each other and were buddies. Oh my gosh. And so they were talking to each other about what was going on. And, and then Henry like totally spurred them and went to Stanford, had a great career um, at Stanford. And then, um, well, I guess he had an okay career. Um, certainly a better career than than Anthony Williams ever had at Georgia Tech. And I like Anthony a lot. He's a great kid. But um, I don't think he had, you know, uh, what did he have? Probably Henry Anderson probably 20-something sacks in his career at Stanford. And, you know, was a really good player for them. Um, and has played in the NFL for since 2015. So was a third-round pick. Um, that was the first Woodward kid. There have been a bunch of them, man, where they've like come real close. And I think they would have busted through had um, Paul Johnson not left. There was a quarterback that they had in the 2020 class, Mike Wright, I think it was his name. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I love that kid. Mike would have come here if Paul that, – that was like going to happen, I think, if Paul had stayed like – I forget. Did he go to Vanderbilt? Is that what happened? Now? Yeah, yeah. He started some games this year. Um, but he was probably going to come here. Like that was, he liked the offense. It was a great fit for him. And uh, you know, then when they changed, obviously it was no longer a fit at all. And I don't think they even right probably even had him come on campus or anything. Um, no, he, no, they they didn't. They also could have ended the drought in 2020 with uh, Arrington Truesdale, the, the linebacker who also ended up at Vanderbilt. Um, it's, it's actually amazing to see how many – because there was a mailback question where they asked about Woodward kids, the the, the Gap, Rayboon or Raboon, whatever you say. Oh, Rayboon Gap, which that's sort yeah. of a weird one because I don't – they're very dissimilar things. Like there's literally guys – some of the like main benefactors at Woodward Academy, there's literally buildings named after them on campus, like at Georgia tech. That's, yeah. that's a totally different animal. Like I have so many friends that are super tight with people at Woodward um, and, and, and in powerful positions, even on the board there that are sort of frustrated with what's going on with, with Georgia tech not having success there. So, um, you know, versus a school that that's, um, you know, up in North Georgia, um, that's, you know, I've been trying to think of like how long they've been like a, like even a football thing. Cause I don't remember them from when I was a kid being a big football program. So, and I, I was, you know, in North Georgia, Northeast Georgia. Um, so I don't know. It's a, uh, that was, that was a strange question. Um, the, the second yeah. part of it, I could see asking about like, uh, you know, pace or where I almost worked. Actually, it was a funny story uh, on staff there. Um, prior to, to start JOL. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's going to be that's, you know, that's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, kind of what else did you think maybe they would look at in the cycle, too? In terms of just a late signing possibilities, like was there any 
other positions you thought maybe they'd kick the tires on that they did ended up not doing? Uh, another tight end. Yeah, I've thought about that too. I think that's one where they're gonna if they're gonna add another tight end, it's gonna be a productive guy from somewhere that's in the portal in the spring. Um, yeah, I think that's the the the, the, the better bet and the smarter way to go, um, especially depending on the the health of the uh, tight end room this spring and how they come out. Sure, because you have. Dylan Devaney, I think, is going to be able, from what I understand, will even be able to go through spring football um, coming off. He had two two different surgeries. Uh, and this is not secret. Jeff actually talked, Jeff Collins actually talked about this in his signing day presser. Um, Dylan, I think, had two different surgeries. Um, I think it was on his ankle, maybe. That D- Dylan Devaney. And then, you know, Dylan Leonard had his own issues. With, he was banged up during the season. So they had Billy Ward and Ben Postman actually missed some time too. It just what he wasn't playing, so no one really noticed that. But there were games where he wasn't, you know, available, addressed, or on the sideline. Um, but you, the, you know, those four guys plus um, Luke Benson now. So you have some competition there. It just depends on what Chip thinks is the best way to go about the offense too. Like. Is he going to go with, you know, two tights and, and whatever? Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what what they decide to do. And you've had, uh, you know, there's been a little bit of a tight end renaissance. Um, you know, you know, it's always been a thing in the NFL, but a little bit more in college now again. So uh, I'm happy to see that the tight end is actually going to be used. I thought it was one of the funnier parts of, the first chatter uh, when the staff got hired and they made such a big deal about all these tight end. We're going to the tight end first time at Georgia tech, you know, we're introducing the tight end and then there just wasn't a lot of production. So there's a lot of different reasons for that, but ultimately it came down to two, like they just weren't targeting them a lot. So that wasn't attractive to transfers or, or, you know, trying to bring in people to, to come in and, and be big time tight ends. If you don't throw to them, you know they're not going to come. You know, they're not going to come here, and um, you didn't see another Tyler Davis jump in to to come here. You know, like that was sort of pretty telling to me. Um, with you know, kind of where that that position was at. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think I think part of the lack of production also has to do with the um, the scheme, like you were talking about the scheme they were in. Yeah, I mean, they were basically, I mean, really the first two years, they were almost like they might as well have just played with the sixth offensive lineman most of the time, like with the way they were, uh, the way they were using them. Like it just, you know, it was not really super interesting, I guess would be the way I would put it, right? Like it was just them blocking or being the fifth guy in a route or, you know, the, the relief guy on a route, like having them chip in the run game. Um, if you use them correctly, which, you know, Georgia, Lord knows Georgia tech fans have seen teams use them correctly against them. Tight ends can be really dynamic and, and very dangerous in the passing game. So I'm curious to see what chip does there. And it's one of those things, right? If you start using the tight end, it, it, allows you to to recruit more it'll just look down the street at georgia like they use their tight ends well and they end up with that brock bowers kid like that's a freak so you know yeah. for, you know he's got to find his kyle pitts or whatever it is like the the guy that's a freak that's gonna be a game changer but it will not be leo blackburn and he made a point to say that very clearly in his press conference that leo's a, a wide receiver and he has no intention of using him as a tight end so don't don't ask about that. Yeah. Which yeah, I, don't I think appreciate like that question very much. No, it was, I, I thought it was kind of funny myself, to be honest with you. It was a little bit of a, a strange one, but, um, you know, all in all, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm a little more optimistic. People kind of gave me a hard time about that, but, uh, I think you have to be this time of year. Like, uh, I think this is the time of kind of fun time where you can focus on what, what the team you cover in my case, or, or your team of fa- you're a fan of in the fans case, you can focus on what uh, they can do to get better the future, like what's going well, 
there's no wins or losses right now. Um, and I think if you don't, you're just sort of a miserable human being. <laughs> like if you, you know, like I think it's hard to, to not get excited about um, spring football. Uh, and, and when you have talent and new coaches that bring some new blood into this thing, I think it's, I think it's okay to be excited about that. I don't understand why the, why the guards up so much from some of the tech fans right now. Yeah. Agreed. Um, anything we didn't touch on Russell that you wanted to, to chime in about? Mm-hmm. I think we, we got it all. Um, Baseball is obviously on the horizon uh, coming up yeah. soon. Yes. Yes. We should. Uh, should have a preview on the site here next week or so. And then, yeah. And then hopefully in the nearer future, Russell will be coming and covering games in person. Lord willing. That's right. We move towards that every day at Jackets Online. Uh, you can check out our work there, part of the Rivals.com network. For Russell Johnson, I'm Kelly Coleman. This has been the Jackets Online podcast. Thank you for